0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com.
0: This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of the Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradio.network.org for thousands more.
2: Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's May 20th, 2014. We've got a lot of topics to cover tonight. We did a special IPA blind tasting. We're going to give the results on this show. We've got some uh, distilled spirits with New Holland Brewery from Michigan. And we will be joined by an author of uh, Southern Craft Beers uh, from uh, Southern Living. All right, so Jimmy Carboni, Jimmy's number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. We've got a special show today. Allie from Green Flash. How are you? Hey,
3: Jimmy. What's going on? It's,
2: it's great to see you on the show. Drew, you're a, a BJCP judge and a home brewer. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jimmy. And Rich Blair from New Holland Brewing. We're going to talk a little later about distilled beers. Yep. So indeed. welcome to the show, everybody. And I think, is that Whitney? It's Whitney. And okay, she's off, off here. But sorry. Whitney is uh, she's a writer from Southern Living. So we've got a lot to talk about on this show. I think the first thing we're we'll going to talk about is, is, is uh, blind tasting and, and IPAs. And I think everybody can join in on that. Uh, later we're going to be joined. Uh, we will announce at, in a second segment uh, the winner of our IPA blind tasting. And let's talk about why we did that. Ale Street News, good buddies of ours, uh, they, every, every issue they do a, a blind tasting panel. And Paul Sullivan uh, is, is a great writer. He's a home brewer. He, he uh, organizes that. Um, so this year we decided let's start doing an annual beer sessions radio blind tasting. This one was commercially available IPAs in New York, and the parameters were we sat with some with some Cicerone certified guys like James Ty, and uh, Ross Shepard from Sam Adams was there as well, and we had uh, we had Michael it's uh, Michael Cafaro and Drew Nichols uh, they're both from the New York City Homebrew Guild, um, and you guys are you know. What do you guys recognize judges? so tell us a little bit about, about the blind tasting process You guys You have the G- BJCP you know style. Tell us about that and, and some differences from Cicerone to give our listeners a little background if they 've never done a blind tasting like what are you guys looking for What do, what do you judge on?
4: so the, the BJCP breaks beers down into uh, you know a couple different categories
2: to try and make it a
4: little less um, a little less subjective so you, you know it just gives you really well defined criteria to kind of compare one beer against another so you generally start off you're talking about the aroma the appearance the flavor the body and any off flavors that might occur in the beer and by breaking it down really specifically like that it makes it easier to give each subject uh, its own sub score and then you can add them all up and you have a, a nice uh, a nice numerical number for for each beer so
2: the bjcp that means beer judge certification program right, right. So that's become really popular. I know at Jimmy's number 43, we, we host an annual class.
4: I took my entire, like, it's almost like a six-month course. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and I took the whole thing, and yeah, I, I, got, I got to throw props at Jimmy's 43 for uh, letting us take that space that whole time.
2: No, we, we, we love having you, but but it's also been a phenomenon. I mean, it, it's also like people are talking about the, the, the building blocks of the craft beer scene. Well, you know, it seems like you need homebrewers and, and homebrewers need to have these competitions you know, regional and local as well as national. But you need the judges. Right. Yeah. So,
4: and there, there is there is sort of a shortage of judges because, you know, this this is all just people who who are in it for the love. You know, there's no you're not paid. You know, I spent all this time getting certified and, you know, oh, hey, I'm going up here this weekend to, you know, go judge these. And my family's like, oh, you're, you're certified judge. Now, how much you get? How much do you make? And you're like, well, you, you get a drink-free beer with your buddies for a weekend, you know? Well,
2: you also have to work. I mean, you guys are seriously, like, every beer you're looking at, you're looking at, like, aroma, appearance, taste, overall.
4: You, you take it seriously, and, and after you've been doing it for a while, you know, it, it, it kind of becomes, com- becomes a little bit rote. And, you know, you, you have you, – you, post- there is a method to the madness, and I think that's, that's the whole idea, just to – you know, so you can really – you really can compare.
2: What's that? So, uh, Rich Blair from New Holland. You, you, you flew out. You're in New York City. Have you ever been part of any blind-tasting events? Uh,
5: nothing that was uh, really well organized. We have done, uh, I have taken part in some that were just for fun. Uh, I know the uh, Michigan Brewers Guild, uh, they have uh, conferences every January, and they had a blind IPA tasting, uh, I want to say two or three years ago, that I did take, did take part in. And it was fun. Uh, it was a really good time kind of sitting down, and, and we were trying to... Uh, uh, Name these beers with the list. So we're trying to guess which one was Bell's Too hearted and which one was Mad Hatter from us. And uh, I'm happy to say I got six of seven correct, nice. which was uh, very surprising, especially being that I'm a spirits guy. Uh, but yeah, I have taken part in, in something like that that was a little bit less organized, not BJCP for sure. But uh, yeah, really good time.
2: Well, we we asked. I mean, ours was a pretty simple idea. We asked some of the reps that we knew in New York City representing, you know. Commercially available IPAs. So we had we had Lagunitas, we had Green Flash West Coast IPA, Bell's 2 Harded Stone IPA. Locally we had um, Gun Hill, which was new, and a few other six point broad and resin. In total, we had about eleven uh, IPAs that that were considered standard IPAs. And um, you know, Ali, you, so you're here from Green Flash. Uh, tell us what, what this experience meant to you. I mean, I know you, you submitted the West, West Coast IPA.
3: It's actually interesting that we've got somebody here from Michigan. Um, we actually just launched out there in October of last year, and I kind of troll the message boards. I love to see what people have to say about my beer as they're trying it for the first time. And um, there was a casual, I think it was five or six guys who picked, you know, a couple of what they considered top-end IPAs that were available in Michigan. And they did a blind tasting together, and they kind of put in line, okay, well, I think this is what they are, and this is where I ranked them. And sure enough, they um, Green Flash ended up coming up on top for both of them. And it was actually really exciting to see that happen in Michigan, where Michigan loves Michigan beer more than anybody does in the entire world. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's great to have blind tastings. I mean, I say it all the time I'll, you know, I'll do the Pepsi test any day with West Coast, and uh, we all stand, you know, Behind our beer, one hundred and ten percent. Oh, you know the Pepsi test. Come on, tell us about.
2: It. <laughs> you know, I don't drink Pepsi.
3: Well, no, because you picked Coke. <laughs> um, but you know, I think it's a it's a really great time for people to go out there and you know try the try the the local IPAs versus you know the national release IPAs and kind of see where their palate lands, especially considering uh, where their perception might be, and you know make sure everything's in line. All
2: right. Drew, you've done a, a number of blind tastings, right? Oh, yeah. And what, and what, what, what typically comes up? Like give us some anecdotes, challenges. I mean, it's, you think it's going to be lively, but you guys are kind of serious and quiet.
4: Yeah, it's very somber. It's very quiet. Um, one of the last uh, judges I was doing, this beer came across, and one of the challenges is trying to define the off flavors, especially for home brewers because you know, the, uh, there's so much science involved in brewing now you know for the repeatability is very important for a brand and you know most beers you drink they have a brand name and you expect something when you open that bottle and i don't think people fully appreciate how alive a beer is you know it's 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 a it's a live product it's made from agricultural products it's made from flowers it's made from grain when i say flowers i literally mean hops are a flower and you know that's a very perishable item and so these beers change a lot with time and um you know the yeast are they're 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 fickle fickle little bitches and uh when homebrewers don't always have the science and the technology and the what microscopes, I said <laughs> they're fickle Excuse little me. bitches. Um, <laughs> so homebrewers quite often. What are you southern? They don't quite have. I, I the, think we uh, have a
2: southern theme to the show too. Coming up, yeah, we do.
4: They, it's it's hard to get the yeast right. And so for homebrewers especially, they can get a lot of off flavors in their beer. And I think a lot of homebrewers and a lot of people who aspire to become BJCP judges, it's for that knowledge of the off flavors. Because there's so many weird little chemicals that yeast can spit out when it gets pissed off. And each one of those things has a different off flavor. And if you can recognize what that flavor is, then you can recognize what the mistake was in the process.
2: So you're saying particularly when you're judging homebrew, Correct. There's certain things you look for. Right. Because we know that some of the other guys at our, our, our event were Cicerone certified. And I think they're, they're, they have a different background. I think they're used to dealing with.
4: Well, well, people don't just submit beers to contest for a ribbon. Quite often, they're also looking for feedback. You know, they Quite often, they'll, they'll know this, this, isn't, this isn't as good as Green Flash's IPA. Why is that? Help me out. And I think that's a big part of, uh, of being a BJCP judge. And that's a big part of the feedback process.
2: Allie, did you bring any beers?
3: I did bring some beer. What'd you bring? Well, um, I don't know if you've heard yet, but uh, we recently reformulated our West Coast IPA and our Hophead Red recipes. So I thought it would be fun to share them with you guys.
2: Let's go for it. let Yeah, pour it out. Um, we kind of drew as our designated homebrew guy. You got to pour and uh, tell us about it.
3: Um, so basically, we're going to start with the Hophead Red here. Um, that was a seven percent. Um, we kind of we've added more dry hopping to it. And we've kind of gotten it back up to the 8.1% double IPA level. Um, really didn't change too much more to the recipe. So it's still the same uh, caramelly, and you get the nice um, dry hopping from the Amarillo on there. Um, so it's still the same creamy mouthfeel, same flavor profile that you came to expect from Hophead Red. But we kind of uh, amped it up a little bit. Cheers.
2: Don't you guys also have a, like a new session IPA series coming out too? No? You're no. not doing session IPAs.
3: Um, we make a hoppy pale ale called Thirtieth Street. We've been doing it for a long time.
2: <laughs> You're bucking the trends because everybody else is doing session IPAs. Um, does everybody? Does, what do you guys think about session IPAs? Are you tired of them? Would you rather just have like a, a good hoppy IPA?
4: I, I love session IPAs.
5: I mean, some people just call them pale ales, <laughs> but. Uh right i'm in the same boat i i feel like we need more of those beers we need more beers that are that are a little bit lower in alcohol uh you can drink them throughout the day rather than just have a couple and you know knock you off your stool um i i think that the world needs more of these kinds of beers and that's certainly not to say anything about these really big high abv beers they're you know beautiful as well but some small beers are really needed and it's it's fun to see people going in that direction
2: you know that's bringing us to another theme that we'll, we'll talk about tonight um Whitney is uh, Whitney Wright writes for Southern Living Magazine. You recently did a survey of uh, your favorite uh, bre- uh, breweries in each southern state. We did. And yeah. it's quite a list. So do, do you want to read them out, or should I read them out for you?
6: I don't have the whole Do you have the whole list?
2: I mean, okay. you, you covered Al- – I'll, I'll, I'll test you. But first, the thing is, <laughs> to, southern craft breweries. To, to many of us, we're not, we're not used to hearing that, and that's another thing we're we'll going to talk about tonight. Yeah. But of these, so we got Alabama, Arkansas. Uh, you know, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Maryland, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma—is that southern?
6: Right. Uh, yeah, close enough.
2: South Carolina, <laughs> Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, West Virginia. W- what's your favorite southern IPA?
6: Um, <laughs> it's not really just pick okay, one, uh, Whitney.
2: We'll talk to you more you about. You
6: know, I, I'm actually. So I just moved down to Birmingham from New York City about a year ago, and um, there's a great brewery there called Good People. And um, their IPA is actually one of my favorites, and it's where we hang out on the weekends and kind of just, you know, what I drink when I don't want to think very hard because it's, it's always good, it's consistent, um, they do a nice job there. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, the other reason I really like it, and this is one thing that I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this in this room, but until about a year ago, I was kind of a vodka club soda kind of a girl, i think yeah
2: <laughs> you're the target you're the target market yeah
6: exactly
5: hey we all start somewhere Yeah.
2: Right? so you're saying you'd have to move to a southern town hey. live next to a little brewery and then you start liking beer well
6: that's kind of what happened to us and um more than anything in birmingham just the year that i've been there um you know these breweries have really become kind of community centers in the towns which i think is not uncommon um, and um, they've just they 've just done a wonderful job in kind of reviving some areas of the city that have needed it and um, so more than anything they 've just turned out to be these really wonderful things for our community that I think is really why I started going there and started hanging out and started drinking the beer so
2: oh, that 's great. We have a lot to talk about on the show. Allie, tell us about the San Diego and uh, you know Green Flash because it 's a pretty cool group over there too. oh
3: it 's fantastic. I think um, Mike and Lisa have been on the show before our owners. Um, and I know Chuck Silva's been on with you once or twice. Um, and kind of where this, these new recipes came from is that's, you know, Chuck, Mike, and Lisa constantly evolving to keep Green Flash uh, current and relevant and making sure that we're putting out the best possible product available. And uh, that's where, you know, we get this tweak with the Hophead Red. And, you know, we're going to be opening up the I, new like of the I West Coast, it at yeah. 8%. I like it. It's great. Yeah.
2: can may it, have more, please.
3: Yes, you may. <laughs> so, you know
2: for our listeners, you know, we, there's always different guests. I know there's a lot of newcomers on the show, but they have to realize that, first of all, they actually bring beer to the show. Second of all, they have to pour it. And uh, the third part is later on today, we're going we're to try some spirits from New Holland, which is a whole other trend that's going on. But, uh, Whitney, I want to talk a little, little bit more about you because you reached out to us. Um, so Southern Living. So you guys, suddenly the South has all these great breweries. Every state now, like Mississippi, every Alabama. Every state now,
6: yeah. The fastest growing craft brewing region in the country. Um, Alabama, I'm proud to say, is the fastest growing state. Um, so it's, uh yeah, I feel like every time I turn around, there's, um you know, I get a little, I'm, I'm a writer, so I get a lot of pitches across my desk. But um, I have to say the best packages that I get are full of beer. <laughs> and, <laughs> Those are fun to try And it's just amazing um, Every week I.
2: I is, is it okay if I, if I tell you The breweries I want to try And maybe you can help me Get some of the beers Sure Okay so Texas Jester King I've never had Jester King I always wanted it Yeah Drew have you had Jester King before No no, no I
5: haven't had it. I've, heard, like I've, read, you, about I've it. read about it. I've read about
2: it on Beer Advocate. That Actually, I'll
6: be honest with you. I haven't had that. But that is um, one of our executive editor, Hunter Lewis. So that is one of his favorite key picks. So, so, now, so. we're
2: going to invite you back in a month. Okay. Maybe or two. And you'll come back with some of these. The other one is um, I've had Westbrook from South Carolina, which uh-huh. I like. Um, is this the Coast Kolsch? The coast yes. You bring that? yes. So that's great. So we're going to taste that next. That's pretty awesome. And Oklahoma, I, I, I know they've been in the city, but I've never had Prairie Artisan. You haven't either <laughs> no, I,
6: haven't. I can't drink them all myself. <laughs> you're just kidding. you're just learning. That's okay. yeah.
2: <laughs> Well that's good. And then uh Florida, we all know Cigar City High Yeah. A lot. yeah and uh, what's another one? Um
6: uh, Tennessee. Have you had the Wiseacre No. Tiny Bum beer. No. I love this beer. It is it's great for like we've all established I'm a beginner, but it's great. It's um got a little bit of honey in it. I mean it's just a perfect starter beer and um also, like I was talking about before, they just have a great story behind their brewery. And if you've seen, I think there's a can here. Have you seen the cans?
2: No, we'll, we'll open that in the next session. Yeah, One more exactly. thing. So, Winnie you were, you were a chef. You worked at Per Se in New York.
6: Yeah, I did. I did. It was kind of the worst year of my life, but <laughs> I got the but now right. now you're ready for Southern yeah. Living. <laughs> yeah. So what,
2: what's, what's up with Southern Living? Are you, are you guys really interested in beer now?
6: You know, we are. It's... um. I mean, I think everybody knows there's been tons of interesting stuff going on in food and drink in the South in the last decade, and um, it's really been a privilege to move down there and be a part of kind of all these artisans that are sprouting up. And um, the best thing about it is in the South, these people have this really, they're so dedicated to storytelling. Um, And so, like I was saying, not only do I get these packages of beers, but I get these long handwritten letters from these brewers about why they started doing it and what made them do it and why they keep doing it and how they're naming their beers and all these just great stories. So um, it's a very storied region, and I think the beers there are the same way.
2: So what's your email so everybody can send you more beer? You
6: can at TimeInc.com. Anytime. You're the <laughs>
2: yeah. Brewery reps across the yeah. country. <laughs> Southern Living is covering craft beer. All right. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back and we're going to talk about the winner of the IPA Blind Tasting Competition on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah.
1: Woo. I sing and I'm heading on Notice when you child in the morning, I'm gone Because 12 hours here, 12 hours too long So you like good beer? Whether you're a craft beer pro or just have your first sip of an IPA, greatbrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. Greatbrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, greatbrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the great beer test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Hey, hey,
2: hey. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the org. We have so much fun at Heritage Radio Network. We're here at Roberta's and Bushwick. This weekend we did the Judgment of Brooklyn uh, Everybody's doing such great things. Patrick Martin's our founder. His new book's coming out. Carnivore is something. Dilemma or something. And uh, we're going to have him on on June 3rd, which is going to be our meat and beer show, which is going to be pretty cool. And we have uh, the owner of St. Fulian Brewery in uh, Belgium coming on. We're going to be like, Belgian beer, heritage foods. It's going to be an awesome show. So... Uh, a lot of great things going on here, org. Okay, the show tonight, we were talking about, in particular, our IPA blind tasting. Last month, we assembled a group of C- certified Cicerones and uh, New York City homebrew BJCP judges. And we, and we uh, judged many of the commercially available IPAs in New York City. And we're going to announce the winners right now. And, and uh, first, in third place... Uh, amongst the 11 IPAs was the Green Flash West Coast IPA. All right. And Allie's here. (laughs) Second place, a surprise, because they're kind of new, was the Two Roads IPA uh, made by Phil Markowski in Connecticut. And the first place IPA, you guys can uh, do the drum roll on this because uh, this is from certified BJCP and certified Cicerone judges in New York City. The first uh, Beer Sessions Radio annual blind tasting this year was IPA. The winner was Stone... IPA. And cheers to everybody. And uh, I know we've got Mitch Steele, the, the brewmaster, on, on the air. It just happens that he's written a book with the Brews Association about IPAs. Um, so, Mitch, welcome to the show and, and congratulations. What, what, what's great about Blind Tastings is that we really didn't know it was your beer until, until it was revealed. But tell us a little bit more about the Stone IPA and why it's, why it's so great and so classic.
7: Oh, yeah, thanks a lot. Um, you know, Stone IPA, we've been brewing it for a lot of years now. I mean, I think it was the third beer, maybe the fourth beer that we ever came out with at Stone. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a classic American IPA at, at this point, and And the, the overriding hop character on this is, is coming from a, a hop called Centennial, which we absolutely love here at Stone. And it's uh, it's just a nice citrusy, lemony type hop character, you know. And uh, it's it's probably it, well, it's definitely our best-selling beer. Um, you know, it is really growing like crazy, and it's, it's definitely a team favorite. We just we just love it ourselves as well. So this is this is a real nice honor.
2: Well, you know, um, and, and Drew's one of the judges here. He's he's a New York City homebrew judge, a BJCP judge. Um, so, you know, they judge on style. So is it that, did Stone write the, write the style definition for IPA, or it just happens that, you know, d- d- or do the style definitions influence the way you make a beer when you're, when you're doing this?
7: Yeah, you know what, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I don't think we've ever developed a beer based on style definitions. You know, we just kind of like to put things together and see if it comes out good, and then we figure out a style later. Um, You know, so, yeah, so we didn't, we don't approach any of our beers that way, you know, as far as, you know, trying to brew to style specifically. That doesn't mean we don't brew to style, but, you know, that's not our main focus. We're, we're more interested in what ingredients can really bring out something interesting in the beer. Yeah, it's, it's and funny, the, 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 the BJCP, you know with, with Stone IPA, I think it just it just fits. You know we obviously we took a lot of inspiration from some of the IPA brewers here in the San Diego area uh, when we were putting that together. You know Steve Wagner was the original brewmaster of Stone Brewing Company. He's one of our owners and and he put this recipe together initially. And um, you know I, he talked a lot with the, with the folks at Pizza Port and and with Vinny who was up at um, uh, blind pig up in temecula at the time and you know so uh, you know we and that's how everybody brews we all talk to each other and we all get inspirations from each other and that's that's kind of how stone ipa came about
2: But then you've done so many offshoots you have stone ruination and how are the other stone ipas different than the basic stone ipa
7: yeah, well, you know, Ruination is our is our double IPA, um, and it's got very similar ingredients to Stone IPA, except it's uh, it's 8.2 percent alcohol, and we doubled the hopping, uh, the late hopping, and and the dry hopping on that. So even though it's a it's a centennial based beer with the higher alcohol and the higher hopping rates, the hops come across a lot different. They they come across as piney and resiny as opposed to um, uh, lemony like you get in Stone IPA. And it, we've we've got a lot of other IPAs as well. We've got uh, we just came out with a session IPA that we're calling a Stone Go To IPA, and that's uh, that uses Mosaic and Citra hops and the dry hop. Yeah, that, that's uh,
2: we, a little more citrusy. Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah, it's really citrusy and it's got some dankness as well. You know, the mosaic's got all sorts of neat flavors going on in it. You know, and a brand new hop variety that we're really excited Mitch, about. Mitch,
2: slow down for one second. So, uh, Drew, who's one of the judges, Drew, tell me some of the 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 things that. You were thinking when, when you judged and and what 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 about the stone i p a that well, it was that kind of funny i mean
4: when, once we got down to the the final three it, it was it was really almost it was almost pulling hairs you know it they they were all just delicious wonderful beers um but, you know, I, I'm, I, I just have to say, Mitch, I'm, I'm a total fan. I, I got to meet you at the uh, National Homebrew Conference last year. And I, I, I read your book. I love your book. And uh, if, if I have a beer hero, you're he. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then also, Thank a- you. Allie's here. She's the Green Flash rep in New York. Allie, tell us a little about about how Green Flash West Coast IPA might differ from the Stone IPA.
3: Um, I think the West Coast IPA definitely has a little bit more of a, a citrus po- power to it. Um, and then, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, your West Coast IPAs go, they are a little bit more forward and in your face. Um, you know, and I, I love the Stone IPA. It's, um, it's, I think, a little bit mellower than what our West Coast IPA is.
4: When we got down to the final, the final three, what we did was we tried to do, in the BJCP, quite often you'll have so many beers of one style. You'll end up having multiple judges and tables judging different beers, and they'll have, they'll have their favorite. And to kind of you know recognize that quite often at the end of the competition you'll do what they call a mini best of show and every table will basically say listen you, this this was the best one we had you got it. everyone has to taste this and so that's what we do and that's kind of how we ran we ran this this judging and at the end out of the eleven we took our favorite six and uh, you know just off the cuff right next to each other all at once we're tasting them all at the same time and it's really more of a, a round of elimination and the first three fall off pretty fast but when we got to the last three I, I think one of the things that really that that kind of pushed Stone over the over the edge was uh, it's it was its intensity. You know, it almost has the a, a double IPA intensity, um, but it's not. It, it really is. I, I think it it really does truly really fit in the IPA category. Well,
2: One thing Mitch that I like about this kind of blind tasting is that for years I, I I'd never bought your Stone IPA at, at my East Village bar, Jimmy's Number Forty Three. I was always buying the Stone Ruination and, and of course the Enjoy Buy, which which is this whole other thing. Tell us about the Enjoy Buy IPA.
7: Yeah, you know, that's a beer we came out with um, almost two years ago now, and we've been brewing it on a periodic basis. It's a, it's a really interesting project. You know, the whole point of this beer, uh, besides just making a beer that we think is great, um, is to have a beer out there that demonstrates... The need to drink IPAs fresh, and it's something that has really, you know, really been frustrating for us as brewers for a long time, is that people will take our IPAs and, 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 especially like our anniversary IPAs and age them. And that's not what we want them to be drinking, is, you know, because the hop character just really falls off in an IPA very quickly. And so we thought we'd, we'd put something out that really kind of drove that message uh, to an extreme level. And, you know, so this beer, you know, it's, it's released. It's got a very definite date that we want it off the shelves. And, and we work very closely with our wholesalers and the people that sell the beer, the retailers, the bars, and everything else so that they know when they're going to get the beer, they know when it needs to be gone, and then, and then they can approach their sales strategy that way. And it's been a huge hit for us, and, and it's it's exceeded our expectations quite a bit. And, and I'm, I love the beer. You know, it's totally different than any other IPA we brew.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think it's cool. I mean, I, I, I like that you have the, the enjoy by date, and uh, I think that's what people want. And then we, we've also got... Um, uh, Rich here from uh, New Holland. Rich, how, how would uh, like West Coast IPAs differ from what you guys are making at New Holland or, or in Michigan? Uh,
5: excuse me. Well, that's, that's one of the things that's really great about the regionality of craft beer, is when you drink uh, an IPA from Southern California, or uh, you know, it's hard to have this conversation and not mention you know, the people that's here in Nevada and Chico as well, but when you drink uh, IPA from that region of the country, it has a signature and it's centennial hops which you know mitch mentioned a a few minutes ago It, it really drives what you know seems to be coming from the west coast and it is big and aggressive and it challenges you know the rest of us from around the country to to make beer that can stand up to that and i think we've really responded to that in michigan and we use a lot of centennial as well uh there are a couple of hop farms that have popped up in the last few years that are making really good things uh So in Michigan, it's a little bit more balanced. The malt shows a little more. I'm painting with a really broad brush here because we are inspired by uh, the people on the West Coast. But in Michigan, you're going to be a little bit more malty, a little bit more in balance. It's not quite as aggressive. Uh, we're getting some different citrus that's coming out as well, more like orange marmalade, and kind yeah. of going away from the grapefruit. So,
2: and our in our blind tasting, we have bells too hard. So, and Maggie, who's uh, one of our co producers, she'll be tweeting all night uh, and for the next two hours all the different IPAs that we we did taste at at the blind tasting, because she's the only one that knows now. <laughs> but um, and Mitch, one last thing. So, you've got the upcoming Brewers Publication uh, IPA Brewing Techniques recipes and the evolution of the IPA. Would you like to say a few things about that?
7: Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it took me several years to put this together, but it's. Um, I, I got sucked into the history of IPA brewing back in England and, and found out through my research that a lot of the assumptions and a lot of the stories that were being told about the origins of the IPA really have no basis in, in fact, and, and they might be uh, myths, and you know the whole idea that i p a was invented specifically for shipping to India uh, appears to be a false uh, false assumption it, it It appears that it was just a beer that th- that the Hodgson brewery was brewing, and it survived the trip very well because of the way it was brewed and and it took off from there. So I've got uh, the book. About half of the book is about the history of IPA from the 1700s through uh, through about the 1970s, and and then the rest of the book deals with brewing kind of craft style IPAs and and how people have done that over time. And I've got close to 50 recipes in there that I've gotten from brewers all over the country and all over the world, actually. And and uh, you know it's been a it's been a fun project.
4: Mitch, I, after I read your book, I I, I always had a question. You, you talked about how. Uh... Those, those beers would be aged for an entire year in barrels, and how the the wood was you know very specifically steamed to really try and remove the woodiness of it uh, how, how successful do you think that was that process
7: you know it's it's interesting i was I was talking to a beer historian uh, he was out here last week his name is ron pattinson and and He's an English guy who lives in Amsterdam and writes a blog called Shut Up About Barclay Perkins. And I asked him that very same question. And, and he said that the steaming and also the type of oak that they used, which came from the Baltic and had very tight pores, uh, in the wood, so it didn't contribute a lot of flavor. And the idea, um, and then they would also, the brewers would also put things like stouts and porters in the barrels first. And then they'd reuse them for IPAs later after any wood character was totally gone from the barrel.
4: Almost like a neutral wine barrel.
2: You know, Mitch, I I just read about that. We had Ron here uh, last month or two months ago, and and I I follow him as well. So uh, he's a great reference. Um, Did you make a beer with him, or did you make a historical-style beer? When we he did. In we? San Diego? It was
7: just this past Thursday. We we uh, went down to our 10-barrel brewery at, in San Diego at, at a location called Liberty Station, and we brewed a batch of East India Porter from his recent book, uh, The Home Brewer's Guide to Vintage Beer. And, and we pulled the recipe out of that, and he was out, and we spent the day brewing a batch of beer. It was great fun.
2: No, he was amazing. We met him, too. And it's funny, yeah, he said that it was East India Porter— that's what the the soldiers were drinking in India, right? And he, he yeah, s- that's I think my he said that the IPA you know, was for the officers. That's, that's
7: another one of those myths that was that was kind of debunked. as I went through the research on this, is that there was plenty of porter that was being successfully shipped to India. It, it, it survived the trip just fine. So um, you know, it, it, it's kind of kind of neat to find all this stuff out.
2: I think that actually that probably the the, the voyage actually made some of those beers better. What do you I think? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think we about. know recently, we've had, like, sort of like example, Hidachino from Japan used to come, you know, in kegs by ship to New York. And recently the import has been actually been, it's been sent in tankers, and they've been actually kegging it in Connecticut. And the beer mm-hmm. is totally different. And I, and I actually liked it better when it was sent by ship. But
7: yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the ship voyage, one thing that wasn't a myth, it appears to have a lot of basis, in fact, is the ship voyage changed the beer. There's no doubt about that.
2: Well, that's great. Mitch, you know, it's so great having you on. And I know right now, are you guys having your annual uh, stone picnic or company picnic or something?
7: We had our our team-wide company picnic on Sunday. Yeah. And then we've got our anniversary party is happening in August.
2: Well, you guys are great. I was really And I'll tell you again, one thing that's funny is that with all the hype about, you know, all these different IPAs, I've actually never had your stone ipa on draft until we did the blind tasting and i used to because i was only getting the enjoy by the ruination because i was always like oh yeah we just don't want their regular ipa and now i was like you know what it it, it really is classic and it represents something and uh, really appreciate it you guys did a great job
7: well thank you very much congratulations uh, really cool
2: yeah, and we'll do every year. We'll do a different, you know, different category of uh, blind tasting. But I learned a lot from it too, because I actually got to sit with the BJCP judges and, and cicerones, and uh, it's, uh, you know. Something yeah, it.
7: it's hard to judge beer, isn't it? I, I mean, it listening is. to it you is. know how how the process of elimination works, it, and I judge a GABF every year and a uh, uh, Beer Cup. It's hard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, so I guess I guess you're lucky to win. Is that what you're saying?
4: <laughs> hey, Mitch, I had, a, I had a technical brewing question for you. Earlier we were talking about uh, session IPAs, and in a, in a ton of recipes I've seen, guys include both raw sugar, and carapils, and to me, it just seemed really counterintuitive. It's like, why not just leave it at pale ale? It's like you're adding the carapils to get rid of the simple sugars, and then you're adding the simple sugars back in with the raw sugar. Um, and I've heard some guys say that you know maybe just an extra five percent of, of dextrose in your in your grist might uh, kind of like really spruce up the uh, the attenuation of the yeast. Is that is that true? Does it does the attenuation go beyond what the new sugar profile is just by an extra five percent?
7: wow that's a that's a crazy question i um th- to me it seems counterintuitive as well you know why would you add sugar and dextrin malt to to a recipe um you know they kind of counteract each other and balance each other out i don't i don't know i you know um do you, you know do that in any for of your beer beers
4: what's that do you do that in any of your beers have both carapils and uh, sugar
7: no, we don't. We either uh, we we use sugar in a couple of beers, uh, but typically that's been like double IPA sure. categories, you know, type beers to get them to really dry out so the hops really shine. So I, um, yeah, I, that's a tough one. I don't know if I can answer that.
2: Wow! All right, we stumped Mitch Steele. That's pretty hey, good. Hey, have myself on the back, <laughs> Mitch. Thanks so much, and uh, it really congratulations. Uh, it, it was it was a true win. The the Blind Tasting Panel picked Stone IPA as the number one commercially available IPA <laughs> in New York. So, congratulations. Thank you very
7: much. That's really great.
2: All right. Have a great day. And, uh, guys, we're going we're gonna to take a short break. Back in a few minutes again on Beer Assassins Radio. All right.
1: Went to the preacher, said I'm a medicine. Still did me the fear of God, but all he was, man, and I'm going.
2: Welcome I got back, you back. I got you back to Beer Sessions Radio. It's a lively studio here. We got uh, all these crazy places. New Holland, Michigan. We got Southern Living. We got Homebrews from Long Island. And we got Allie from Green Flash. All right. Allie? So I'm, I'm drinking the. You guys have new labels too, don't you? The West we Coast do. IPA.
3: Um, we just had a, a new label line uh, put in about a month ago. Um, and we actually we ordered one for the Virginia Beach location. We're probably about a year out on that still. Um, some actually pretty cool news uh, that we really haven't been too public about yet is um, we're actually working on a barrel aging room and a restaurant that's going to be in downtown San Diego. And uh, what this really means for us here in New York is Silver Stout will be coming our way eventually, which is really exciting. Wow. So that's our uh, that's our double stout aged in bourbon barrels for eighteen months, and then we blend it. So it's
2: so really of, of our of our at our blind IPA blind tasting. Beer Sessions Radio Two of the three Top winners From San Diego What do you think About that
3: They know their hops When it (laughs) it comes to IPAs I mean come on It's Southern California Um, You know And and I'm not hating On East Coast IPAs I'm an East Coast girl uh, But they definitely Are a little bit um, Heavier on the malts Out here Where you know The West Coast It's bright It's shiny It's what all of us, I think, have come to count on as far as what a, a West Coast-style IPA is. And so I
2: like the new... The, so the new hotbed red, 8%. Yeah. Drew, do you think that that would have placed it all in the IPA blind tasting or would have stood out as being too strong?
4: Way, way too malty, a little too hot, um, which are both things that you know make that an epic red. And yeah. the, the one thing that I think would have really... You know, really what really would have done well on was that aroma because those amarillos are stinky. Mm-hmm. I love it.
2: Yeah. So I always like the hot pepper. And then what's this? This is the arrogant. Who wants to pour the arrogant bazard from Stone? Because cheers again. Uh, so of our IPA blind tasting panel, uh, Stone IPA was number one. Number two was Two Roads. Our buddy Phil Markowski in Connecticut. Number three was Green Flash West Coast. And that, that's a pretty tight category. I mean, we had Bell's, Two Hearted. You know, we had a new local brewery, Gun Hill. We had a lot of people involved in that Lagunitas IPA. Some really great breweries.
4: It was funny. There, there was a little bit of a battle there at the end between first and second because the the two rows just had such a wonderful aroma, but the the stone had a stronger bitterness and a stronger flavor. But I, me, I, I'm I'm kind of a hound for the aroma, so I, I was I was I was kind of pulling for the uh, for the two hands. But when you when you
2: <laughs> judged it, did, did, did you actually you had no idea of knowing which beers they were because it was totally blind. No clue. Yeah, no clue.
4: The, the only, I think, the only one I was able to actually pick out just from the blind tasting was um, was Two Hearted. Yeah, that too was the is Centennial hard. on Centennial. Yeah, yeah. Centennial. that was the only one I was, was like, I, I know what this one is.
2: Yeah. So now we're drinking the Stone Arrogant. I wish, oh Mitch, I wish he was still on the line because we could ask him about this. <laughs> but this is the Arrogant Bastard. All right. Um, so cheers to Stone. Cheers to Two Roads. I cheers to Green Flash and everybody else that participated in the IPA blind tasting. It was pretty awesome, and. uh we're going to do it again I, I think we need to make An annual thing Because there's so many regions I mean So Whitney's a, a writer From Southern Living uh, Yeah, I know you're new to beer But you, you, you were a chef before Yes So what are some of the things That Southern Living's Going to be doing with beer You're going to have More beer columns
6: uh, yeah. You know, we have... Do you need yeah. our
2: producers to be your, your consultants?
6: <laughs> I would love for these good. guys Justin to come and down and consult me in my office. They're good writers. I'm ripping open these packages. No. Um, yeah, we are... Um, you know, we just published our A to Z guide to Southern food right now. And um, B is for craft beer. And so that is why, um, I mean, it's just so significant right now to our region and to the food and drink culture of our region that we couldn't pass it up. Um, We do have an artisan food column that we're going to cover beers every month. We've got a great writer on staff, Hannah Hayes. She is like a 20-something girl. Sometimes she smells like beer in the morning. But <laughs> so <You're
2: laughs> it happens like to the best of yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then they're not 20 somethings anymore. Exactly.
6: Exactly. But she's really on it. And she's the one who put together that huge list for us of beers by state. So she's going to be on it. And um, we're definitely planning on covering a we'll lot.
2: We'll talk about beer. Southern living. We've got uh, the new trend in craft beer. And it's not even new anymore. It's been for several years. Many, you know, the, the base of, of good, let's say, whiskey or distilled product. Right. Is can be beer, yep, and even the best whiskeys in Scotland. They make a weak beer and they turn it into scotch. Yeah, so uh, there's, there's. We know that our friends hit a Chino in Japan, and uh, you know Aventinus in, in Germany. There's a lot of great breweries that are, that are making a special distilled product. So uh, Rich from uh, New Holland is here. So New Holland is a brewery in it's Holland, coincident Holland, Michigan. But they're also doing a distilled products, and maybe the Southerners will like that too, because we also got people coming on about moonshine and things oh, like yeah. that, but oh, for sure. Rich, tell us about like how, how is it that a brewery can go from making good beer to also making a distilled spirit based on beer?
5: Well, it was for us, it was really just a natural progression. You know the first few steps in making great spirit is making great beer. Uh, you have to, uh, you know, it comes from malted barley, uh, wheat, uh, some other grains, obviously, and then it's fermented. And we've been doing that for almost a decade when we began distilling. So I would almost say that it was a. Uh it was an unfair advantage uh, when you compare us to some other uh, startup distilleries that we had a decade of fermentation experience under our belt when we got started. And then when you move this through uh, the distillation process, uh, we, we distill differently uh, than most distillers. You know, we love the folks in Scotland and the folks in Kentucky and the, you know, around the world that are making great, great spirit. And we were inspired by them, but we wanted to, to make it our own. And uh, part of what makes craft beer so great is the innovation and so, you know, moving that right to the, the distilling side, we innovate it. And we're very proud of the fact that we're, we're, we're first a brewery. So we don't hide that. We, we actually let it influence the spirits in a pretty big way. So, you know, I brought some spirits with me today. One is a, a bourbon that we are finishing in a, a beer cask. Uh, we make a beer called Dragon's Milk, and it is just a wonderful uh, barrel-aged stout. Uh, we age that in bourbon casks, and we pull the beer out. Uh, we put whiskey right back in uh, for finishing, and it makes a very malty and, and uh, wonderful bourbon, uh, just finishing it for three yeah, months let, in that I, cask.
2: I, I wanna have, oh, let me have another taste of the, uh, the hotbed red, because it's... We, we got it. So we, we're doing... And then we're we drinking won, whiskey. We won. We won. <laughs> we won the, uh, the IPA blind tasting winner was Stone IPA. The second first on the air is we're tasting the new 8% Green Flash Hotbed Red, which I'd love to try. And now we're going to try the whiskey. So this is my question about when, dis- when you distill beer to make a spirit, do you guys just distill, like, the crappy beer, the bad beer? I mean, do you make beer, like, a light beer just to distill? Uh,
5: well, there are two answers to that question. One is our general approach is to we make an unhopped beer. Uh, it's not beer that didn't work out in some other capacity. Uh, I would say 99% of what we do is simply the recipe is written to, uh, you know, through all the way to the end of when it comes out of that barrel or whatever we're going to be doing. So to you, so you it
2: actually you start by brewing a certain kind of beer.
5: Yes. That you will distill from? About a 10% unhopped beer is the base of of, um, our whiskeys and things. When
4: it it doesn't have hops, it's generally called wash. Correct. And if if it was to be a beer, about what ABV would that be? Uh,
5: About 10%. It it usually gets to about 10%. We do get a little bit higher on some, a little bit lower on others. Uh, But the goal when we start seems to be right about 10%. I
4: I heard that uh, McAllen, they they try not to go over about Mm 8.5. Do you find that you have to make smaller hearts cuts when you're going up to 10?
5: Well, we feel that uh, fermentation is one of those, those things that, that we pull some levers to, to affect the final spirit. But um, ABV is really a little further down the list. We also lauder. Uh, very much like the Scots, uh, the folks in Kentucky ferment you know on the grains, and again, I have to point out that I am a bourbon nerd, and I drink a lot of it, so I love the guys in Kentucky, but they do it differently than we do. Uh, they ferment on the grain, they ferment really hot, they get it to about ten percent in like a day and a half or two days. Uh, open fermentation we are closed fermentation we lauder it takes about ten days to fully ferment, so we're, we feel that taking that approach we, we don 't get all of those. Uh, high alcohols that we have to worry about so much with the cuts and when we put our whiskey in a barrel it's not to age the bad things out of the whiskey it's to impart those barrel flavors into the whiskey Uh, so we don't feel that we need as much time in a barrel either Uh, most of our whiskeys are aged somewhere between like three and four years and they're just beautiful whiskeys
2: one thing i'll say is i i love spirits as much as i love craft beer but for for a whitney from southern living I, you know, I think New York has has a lot going on. It's a growing craft beer town. It's a, it's a wine town. It's a cocktail town. For for your, for your southern living people, mm-hmm. do you think that there is interested in and in independent spirits and specialty spirits as they are in craft beer? It's the same kind of thing, or well, absolutely. what do you think? I
6: mean, the craft beer thing—it's it, new, right? Um, part of the reason it really happened in Alabama was because a law was finally passed that people were able to brew beer above oh, a certain know. alcohol percent. Yeah, so um, last,
4: it was like it was like last year. It was
6: two thousand. Well,
4: was it last? Yeah, I don't know. As, as, it as, was as a, recently. Yeah,
6: yeah.
2: As, well, we as got, as got Alabama year. and Mississippi and homebrewing yeah.
4: <laughs> as well. So. Yeah, as of as of like two or three years ago, there was, there were still two states in the U.S. where it wasn't legal to make homebrew. Yeah, it's just crazy.
6: So spirits are super popular in the South. In fact, a lot of the brewers that I've talked to in the South got into beer brewing because they were actually interested in distilling. And they said the first thing we have to do is learn how to make great beer. And then we can well, move on we to Well, we were that. talking
5: about it a little bit off air that uh, Atlanta, I think, is one of my favorite examples in, in the South. Decatur is just such an amazing place to eat and drink. And it's all things craft. It's, it's craft coffee. It's, it's artisan cheese. It's whiskey. It's gin. You know, obviously a lot of beer, some food uh once you that that Ball gets rolling; it just picks up steam, and then everything that approaches craft. And you know, to relate it to the South, Atlanta is one of those cities that that the rest of the country doesn't seem to be talking about. When you talk about spirits and cocktails, you know, New York, Portland, Chicago, uh, New Orleans, there are a lot of cities that get a lot of a lot of uh, recognition. and Atlanta is not in that group, and it's always surprised me because it's. I look forward to my trips to Atlanta every year, and I always limp home with a hangover. <laughs> it is it is an amazing town. You
2: know, Rich it's, you know, you're an interesting guy, and I want to. Ask a few questions. So, you're the national accounts manager for the spirits division of New Holland Brewing and Distilling. So, typically, what what are some of the cities and regions that you visit? Well, we have. What do you get to do when you go there? Just drink.
5: Well, we have uh, people positioned throughout the country, and then I um, travel to go support them, continuing education, and we try to run some really big events, and I travel a lot for national events. Uh, I happen to be in New York right now just because I didn't make it last year, and so I didn't come for an event. I just came to uh, eat and drink well for a week, I You guess. just came it's, for the week, and we got yes. lucky. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I do a lot of those things with national events, uh, you know, Whiskey Fest in Chicago. I was in Portland, Oregon a couple weeks ago for another Whiskey Festival. So I travel for a lot of these big events and uh, try to support our team that, that's on the street. And when you look in from the outside, I get paid to eat and drink with really cool people. Uh, there is uh, a lot of work that goes along with that, Excel files and phone calls and all the non-glamorous you know, side of everything that we do. But about 10% of what I do is stand around with cool people and Drink. So I do you think that
2: more, more breweries will, will also start distilling spirits as well?
5: Well, I hope that the, that, that is a, a developing trend. I know that uh, I've heard of a few that are uh, Mother Earth um, in North Carolina. I heard they're distilling. Uh, they're I'm drawing a blank on the name. of that yeah, we know uh, those brewery right it. now. But in Indianapolis, uh, they're beginning to distill the
2: Indy 500. <laughs>
5: <laughs> so there are there are
2: a number of uh, that was a bad joke. Nobody's even laughing because you know you know what, you know
1: what <laughs> well, happens.
2: Just, okay, to <laughs> yeah. sorry, Jimmy. <sorry>, <laughs> Yeah, good
3: job there. Really, Rich really good. Really, really okay,
2: this show's going to end soon. And I'll tell you why. When it's beer, people laugh. Now everybody's focused on pouring your damn spirits, and nobody's laughing. So I like beer. Beer makes people happy. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. Well, there is And the that, spirits, like you bringing the spirits in, man. Well, there is that. Messing that really up my bad, beer vibe. Uh,
5: I actually said this to a brewer once, and he he didn't he didn't find it funny at all. But. Uh, uh, whiskey is what is beer once it grows up and the brewer didn't really care for that so i don't i don't believe that for sure but whiskey is is great uh, we make and drink an awful lot of whiskey we started a few years ago uh, we've been distilling for about nine years now and we started with a lot of vodka and a lot of these things and then we grew up and we became a whiskey and gin company you know we drink a lot of whiskey and gin so it just happens that that's what we also like to make it it you know, works that way, and then with also being you know rooted in, in craft beer, we have that advantage of fermentation and all those things. But for the most part, it's innovation. We're trying new things. You know, we're finishing bourbon in a beer cask, and it's amazing. Uh, we have a white whiskey that, rather than going into a barrel, uh, we steep it with hops. Uh, and it reminds you a bit of an agave spirit. So we originally called it Hop Kilo. We're in the process of changing that name now. And then the other bottle that I brought that we're obviously not going to get to is a beer schnapps that we distilled our finished Kolsch, fully hopped and everything Kolsch. And it's the only way to describe it is pretty. Like it just, it, it's perfumey and, and it, it's amazing. So uh, spirits are, are a lot of fun and it's not something we're just doing I in our spare I think, time.
2: I think from my experience, the, the finest spirits are from either, you know, if it's something from, from grape and grape must or it, it, it's, it's from beer and Wharton and, and what you guys are doing. So mm-hmm. you guys are awesome. We're going to give a few shout-outs also to New York City. There's some events coming up. Um, we've got this weekend, the Chief's Number 43 Barbecue Rig will be at Gun Hill. There's so many new breweries in New York City. Gun Hill Brewing is in, in the Bronx will be there on Saturday, and Single Cut up in Astoria will be there on Sunday. Uh, tomorrow night, which is Wednesday in New York City, Double Windsor, another great good Brazil bar. They've got some cool things going on, including... a. Uh, Bunch of other half and Peekskill and local breweries, and that's the big trend in New York City right now. Is all the local breweries that, that, that are growing up, but but a big part of New York too is the imports. The, the guys from Michigan, the guys from San Diego, New York. I think is one of the best beer towns in the in the world because of all the different types of beers we can and get. So, what do you think? Double Windsor doing a,
3: double Windsor's actually doing a San Diego night tomorrow. Yeah, uh, so they're going to have our brand new seasonal Road Warrior, which is a imperial red rye. Uh, it's a eight percent.
2: I think they're Let's doing everybody's down. night because they're doing New York City, <laughs> New York, Upstate, California. And I think they're covering all the bases. It's just like we're having
3: a party. We like Double Winter. If you're in
2: New York, and a lot of <laughs> our listeners say, where should I go in New York City? Of course, you should go to Double Winter in Brooklyn. Check it out. One of our Good Brewsteel Bars. All right. Yeah, so in I'd, closing, wait, I'd tell I'd us.
5: I'd like to uh, throw in a quick little shameless plug myself here that uh, we have a uh, whiskey dinner on Thursday at char number four. And okay. it came together a little bit late. Uh, we just... You know, met each other and really wanted to work together on this trip, so we put it together. still a couple seats left for that, so if you want to come join us at char number four on Thursday, amazing food and uh, lots of whiskey. And then, Whitney,
2: you're Southern Living. What are you doing in New York this week?
6: Oh, I'm here. Well, I came here to sit and drink beer with you, and then um, I am also uh, doing some fun cooking demos. I I cook as well for um, some great stuff to do on Memorial Day. Where? Um, I'm going to the Food and Wine Kitchens, which is one of our sister publications, um, to... uh, Tape some shows so, All right
3: Yeah it should be fun
2: Well New York's a great place Allie anything else Green Flash um, I'm going to be
3: at Idle Hands tomorrow night uh, We're actually doing A uh, West Coast uh, Well actually It's going to be All Green Flash beers With in and out Style food So we're going to be Recreating the animal burger And all that good stuff um, I know Rev's been Selling tickets online So I think it is A little bit limited But uh, it's going to be I think six to nine Tomorrow
4: Hey, hey, Jimmy, I'd love to plug uh, New York City Homebrewers Guild. We have uh, the annual Mead meeting tonight, which is just a terror show. If you're
2: listening live, otherwise you'll miss it.
4: Otherwise you'll miss it. Uh, otherwise, Burp Castle, East 7th te- Street. First Tuesday every month, and uh, it's, it's a good time. Do
2: you know that on East 7th Street near 2nd Avenue, there's the Brew Brewmuter Triangle? It That's was true. founded in the 80s. That's where Garrett Oliver first started brewing. There's, there's Burp Castle, now formerly Brewski's Standings, and Jimmy's Number 43. So Good the stuff. home of New York City Brew- Home Brewers Guild for 30 years. All right. Rock on, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com, who so have re-upped for a fifth year. Thank you, greatbrewers.com, for sponsoring org. And uh, whatever it is, I'm getting wasted on uh, crazy bourbon from New Holland. right, beer
7: barrel bourbons Thanks to
2: Mike, Drew, (laughs) Allie, Rich, Whitney, and Mitch for joining (laughs) me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Side and then Justin Kennedy, and our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Cheers.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website,